Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I talk to various people about the five things from their life, any time in their life, that they would like to put in a time capsule. That's why we called it My Time Capsule. They can pick four things that they really cherish, but they also pick one thing that they rather regret, something they want to bury and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the stand-up comedian Mark Simmons, who's probably best known for his appearances on the BBC satirical comedy show Mock the Week. He was voted the best act by UK Comics Comic 2022 and was included in Dave's Top 10 Jokes at the Edinburgh Fringe. But he's got a lot more than 10 jokes, our Mark. In fact, he needs to have, because Mark is that rare thing in stand-up comedy, a teller of one-liners, possibly the hardest gig there is, following the well-trodden path of people like Tim Vine and Milton Jones. As you may know if you listen to this podcast regularly, I love a one-liner, and first noticed Mark through his Edinburgh show, One-Linerer, which was a huge sell-out hit in 2017. He followed it up with his show, One-Linerer, which was harder to say, but also a sellout. Mark's career is constantly on the rise. He's been in the finals of several noteworthy competitions, such as Lester Mercury Comedian of the Year, So You Think You're Funny and the Natty Award, and is in high demand across the country as a headline act. He's also been supporting Sean Walsh, Rob Beckett and Rob Bryden on their tours. That doesn't mean he's been going to all their shows and shouting encouragement, but that he's been their support act, as he's been for Michael McIntyre and Jack D. Apart from Mock the Week, Mark has also starred in the hit BBC3 documentary One for the Road with his friend Sean Walsh, being funny as they toured the Scottish Highlands. Not as easy as it sounds if you've ever spent time touring the Scottish Highlands. His podcast, Jokes with Mark Simmons, is basically what it sounds like. Mark and other comedians discussing jokes. More of that in this podcast, which is where he discusses jokes with me whilst revealing the five things he put in a time capsule. Have fun. First of all, I'd like to apologise for wearing my baseball cap. It's a bit <laughs> unprofessional, but I've, we've had a leak in my shower and I've been told I'm not allowed to shower for two hours. <laughs> well, you don't want to stand in a shower for two hours. That would be ridiculous. No. <laughs> <laughs> there so, you are. So, I'm trying to take it down the avenue that I know your comedy goes down. Yes. And it's the sort of comedy, Mark, that I love the most, actually. Oh, great. The very quick turning of the meaning of something. Mm. I think it's the most difficult comedy to do, you know, that just chatting to people and making interesting observations and telling a funny story. Great. And that's what a lot of stand-ups do. And 
you know, I make it sound easy. It's obviously it's not. But but I think that you've set yourself the task, the terrible task, really, of you know that every single funny thing you say is going to fill up about, what, 20 seconds? And it's one of those things, I think it's how you're wired, isn't it? Because to me, the idea of telling a story that goes on and on is terrifying because <laughs> I... I've always had this. I, I I get so worried that I'm boring people, and and that and then once you start thinking that, your rhythm in the story's gone. And <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually I, I like just getting straight to the point. But you're right. It sometimes it, I think it's when I'm coming to write a new show, mm. and I see other comedians writing their Edinburgh shows, and we're doing previews together, and they have a story, and that takes ten minutes, and I'm like. One of my little mini stories is literally, yeah, 10 seconds. And then I've got to come up with another one and another, another one. <laughs> and the thing is, I can do it. I can come up with thousands if I need to, but it doesn't mean they're all good. And I'm really, like, I have a very sort of high standard for myself where I want everything to be a banger. Yeah, well, of course, it has to be that. Mm. Just making a word mean something else isn't necessarily funny. No. Just sort of saying, you know, uh, I took the dog out, it was barking all the time, why it turned into a tree, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's not... It's, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all you've done, it's just in a word. It's not funny. I know you laughed, you laughed at the uselessness yes. of it. Yes. Yeah. But making the joke work on both sides of the meaning mm-hmm. is the key. That's what I've discovered, because on that joke, it only works on one side. Yeah. Like, logically. See, some, some one-liner comics don't care a lot about logic, but for me, that's something I really concentrate on. Like, I, I want it to make sense. I want the audience, every time I start a joke, I want them to believe I'm telling them something true and a real story and invest. And then like, oh, he tricked us. And then start another one and then get them back again. That's the challenge. Well, also, I think that thing where when you hear it, you go, oh, of course. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, I love that sense of why has that never occurred to me in my life? I get so frustrated when I hear another comedian do a joke that's great and I'm like, how did I not see that one before? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm so in awe of people when they, you know. But that's the challenge. It's the, to find the originality with wordplay is, is hard because so many jokes have been, you know, been done before. But they are out there. It's just hard work, really. You just have to keep turning them over. And there are hordes of people on Twitter and everything Mm. who spend their time making puns, as it were. Yeah. Puns work very well for Christmas crackers, Mm. and they can work as jokes, but generally that's not what you want. No, no. I like wordplay, and I I think that is different to puns, Mm. but you could argue that it is puns. But to me, puns are quite more cheesy. That's how I consider them. Yeah. I like clever clever wordplay that like you people wouldn't normally spot no i mean i love your joke last week alone oh brilliant oh thank you you go of course that's so clear as a joke it's an interesting joke that one because for me that is one of my favorites mm. um I, shall, shall i say it just so everyone knows yeah, what go it on, is say it. it's great. um so a lot of people say comedy's the new rock and roll so if you want to know how many women i sleep with this week alone last week alone (laughs) and leave it like that but it's an interesting one that joke because when i wrote it i thought oh that's an opener so your opener you want to be a really strong one to get the show started they know what you are but i did it and it doesn't always work as an opener because i think they need to get to know what i do before they they're tuned in Mm. to to see where that's going yeah yeah quite often they would just look at me blankly i'm like oh i don't understand (laughs) but i'm so glad i tried it in other places in the set because then i realized oh it is strong they just need to be tuned in yeah yeah i get that with a lot of my jokes because some of them are what i call thinkers and you have to put them deep into the show so they're wired in the right way yeah it's like jokes where you leave a some of my favorite jokes are where you leave a gap (laughs) <laughs> and then they don't think the jokes they, like you've left it like the sentence isn't over, and then they realise oh it, it is over. Mm. For example, um, and by the way, I know this is can be really awkward doing jokes one to one. So much pressure on you to get it, but trust me, they have worked before. Um, <laughs> so uh, for, uh, yeah, this one. I used to work in a warehouse, and I messaged my boss saying, "What's the safest way to pick up a heavy box?" And he texts straight back. <laughs> But it always takes me a while and it's a gamble because sometimes there's a good three seconds where I'm like, oh, no, they haven't got this one. And then they laugh. (laughs) But I like that. I find them so satisfying. Absolutely. By the way, I'm absolutely honoured that you've asked me onto this podcast. Oh, not at all, no. So as as a 
obviously I'm, I'm very professional. I had a little listen. I thought I'd, you know, make sure I know what, what I'm getting involved in. Yeah, it could be shit. It may still no, be shit. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm about 25 episodes in now. I'm hooked. Oh, how lovely. I love it. I really love it. So I've been, and because I'm travelling around a lot, I, I listen to so many podcasts, so it's so nice to get a fresh one. And also your guests are so, like, great and different. <laughs> well, different, I think, yeah. I mm. mean, clearly, you know, I've mined many of the famous people I've been associated with over the years and yeah. sort of <laughs> begged, stolen and borrowed, <laughs> you know. And they very kindly said, yeah, but actually some of the more interesting ones... I found them interesting when I did them, but then listeners have found them interesting. Are the people mm. who are the least famous? Yes. My aim always was that it's ought to be a thing that could work with almost anybody. Definitely. And I have that with my podcast. I do a, a podcast called Jokes. It's called Jokes with Mark Simmons. And I chat to comedians about jokes that they, they can't get to work. So <laughs> so it's jokes that they, they... Because you've always got jokes you think should work. And for, for, for all kinds of reasons, they don't. And I love getting into the weeds with it. Mm. Um, and I've had really big, famous comedians. You've got like Sarah Millican, Milton Jones, like brilliant, brilliant comedians. Mm. And then also I've got circuit comedians that people wouldn't have heard of, but they're also equally brilliant. Yeah. Um, and it's so satisfying when I get messages on Twitter and things when they've really enjoyed someone that they would never have heard of before. Yeah, absolutely. The same with this. But, of mm. course, those comedians, once you become a comedian, once you become interested in comedy, it becomes an obsession, really, doesn't it, mm. I think? You love it, and you become a, a sort of a, a professor of comedy. You listen to all sorts of other comedies and go, how do they do that? Yes. That's interesting. I, I love listening to comedians talking as well, and even comedians that I don't particularly get or their humour isn't really my thing, but if they're passionate about comedy, mm. I can listen to them for hours. It's like... For example, um, Jerry Seinfeld, he's obviously one of the America's biggest, most famous, legendary comedians. Mm. And when I watch it, I understand that it's good, but it's not, I'm, it's not how I'm tuned in. So it's not 100% for me. But listening to him talk about comedy is one of my favourite things because he loves it so much. And I, I'm like, I love it too. We're in the same <laughs> gang. And, and like, I, I, I was lucky enough to, um, he came over and did, a, did some shows at the Apollo. And the night before he did like a small one at the Soho Theatre and comedians were invited to, to watch. And I managed to get a ticket for that. Wow. And, and it was literally just who's who of comedy. I mean, that's a hard gig. That is a nightmare gig, like for any comedian, just comedians watching because they're so judgy. Mm. But although it's not my 100% my thing, I just wanted to be there and see this a legend at work and see yeah. what he did. And the most I got from it was when he was working the crowd. I really enjoyed that because that's where you really know a comedian is truly funny, <laughs> I think, because you, it's, there's nothing prepared about it. No, absolutely. Those things like the moments on Mock the Week when somebody comes back to somebody else's line, yes. they're always the best lines, aren't they? I think once you're comfortable as a comic, once you're comfortable in a situation, mm. I think that comes naturally. But I feel like but as soon as I became completely at ease on stage and myself, I found that the crowd work just came naturally. Yeah. Whereas I think if you're nervous, if something happens in a room... In your head, you start thinking, oh, no, I've got to say something funny. And as soon as you're thinking that, you're not thinking about the funny thing. But as soon as you become, it's, it's difficult to describe, but you, you're sort of at one with it. Yeah, no, I do understand what you're talking about. It happens in all forms of theatre where you have a reaction with an audience. So improv, being relaxed is the absolute key to all of it. I love improv. I, I, I've never, I actually have sort of done it, but... Improv does have a bad rep a little bit in comedy. Like in America, they do, in a lot of films, they, there's a lot of jokes anti-improv. Mm. But, but I, I love it because I, I think with comedy, I laugh when I don't understand how it's put together. <laughs> so if it's, if it's a one-liner comic or just, you know, your regular sort of comic, I can enjoy it and I could go, oh, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. But I don't really laugh. But if it's like a, a weird act, like something like Brian Gittins, <laughs> yes. I lose it. 
because <laughs> I don't understand how he's doing it. No. I don't understand the process. And it's the same with improv. I, because I haven't learned how it works, it's like a magic trick to me. So I, I'm a sucker for it. I love it. Mm. I remember seeing um, a YouTube thing. I'm so jealous that I wasn't a comic back then. But did you ever see the Bob Monkhouse gig where he, <laughs> it's his last gig, where he played to just comedians? and. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting to see because you see the faces that you know. But when they started, and that was, I, I love it. I watch that every so often. He was a surprising man, Bob Monkhouse. Mm. You thought that actually he'd be very either very old showbiz or you thought that he would be too big or too famous or too rich to be bothered right. with other people. But I mm. remember doing something at Central Television when it existed and he was recording Family Fortunes or Celebrity yeah. Squares, I think he was hosting. Mm. He was in the dressing room next to where we were standing and he, he chatted to everybody and we were all young really? comedians at the time, yeah. young comic actors. And then he invited us all out to dinner afterwards and bought us all dinner no and way. talked comedy with everybody the whole I evening. I am so jealous. It was fantastic. But the thing is that we all said, this is really generous of you. And he said, no, it's fine. I've just done three episodes of Celebrity Squares, 40 grand an episode. <laughs> One night. We went, wow. Just something yeah. to be so open about. It wasn't a boast. It was just, mm. that's where you can go if you want to. Yeah. he's. I did a podcast where I was asked, like, What's people who are dead, mm. that are dead, would you like to have a, a dinner with or... Beautifully phrased, the whole thing, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't think I'm good with words, would you? <laughs> I'm not good with words unless they're funny. And if they're not funny, I'll say them in a way that makes it funny. Um, <laughs> but he was one someone I would love to have there because i just like to talk to him about joke writing. Like, I think mm. he's someone that would be fascinating to talk to. But what also I love is you could tell from that last gig of his that he loved comedy. And that's what, again, it's the same thing. If you, I, I just love people that love this as an art form. I would suggest that maybe he wrote The Greatest Joke of All Time. Oh, which one? Because I, I quite often quote one that I uh, love. Right, it's the, uh, when I die, I want to die peacefully in my sleep, like my dad, not screaming in terror like his passengers. Yeah, that's so, it's, a, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a perfect joke, isn't it? Because also it's, it, there's an edge to it, which mm -hmm. adds to the laugh. I always quote the one, um, and I actually, I recently found out I've been quoting it slightly wrong, wording-wise. But again, this is something I would love to talk to him about, about his wording of why he chose that way of doing it. Yeah. Um, and I can't even, so, but it's, but the, you'll know the joke, it's uh, when I told people I wanted to be a comedian, they laughed, well, mm. they're not laughing now. Yeah, brilliant. And it's perfect. As a writer of jokes. One of the greatest, you know. Mm. He also wrote that thing when I told my dad I wanted to be a comedian. He said, well, practice in the bath and you'll get better at it. And it worked. He said, it didn't work for my brother. He wanted to be an electrician. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that. That's it's great. A good, it's great. Oh, it? I love it. Mark, okay, well, otherwise we're going to talk all day. And that's so, the end of the podcast. <laughs> that's it. Thank you very much for coming on. We, <laughs> we should talk about the five things that you've chosen to put into a time capsule. Mm -hmm. So what's your first thing? Um, I'm the sort of person that I do keep things. I'm, I'm quite nostalgic and I, I, I find it hard throwing things away that I have memories attached to them. Mm. But I also like living kind of minimalist as well. That makes me... So it really, they really, it's sort of a catch-20, it counterbalances each other. So I do keep things and then I do eventually throw them away and then I regret throwing them away. <laughs> but I've got lots of things here that aren't going to be on my list, but I just, I've got a drawer just here full of things. I've got my first joke book there. <laughs> I've got my primary school tie. <laughs> Why would I keep that? That's, that's, there's no reason. I've got my secondary school tie. <laughs> I've got... It's almost the same as your primary school tie. It's very similar, just slightly bigger. Um, <laughs> my first gig, the £20 note, my first paid gig. Wow. That is. And that's a picture from on stage, but the cameras weren't very good, so you can't even really see that it's me. <laughs> no. so, so the things I've chosen are sort of things that I haven't really got, I think, now. Maybe some of them I regret not keeping them. Mm -hmm. So the first thing isn't an item as such. It's my friend, Stuart Foreman. It's his fault that I do comedy. It's because it was, it's like a sliding doors thing. It, like it, it so easily couldn't have, might not have happened. Mm. So I left university and so I studied sports and exercise science at uni. And then I went and worked in a gym for like just for like a summer while I was trying to work out what I wanted to do. Mm. And he was a, I'd never met him, but he was a friend of a friend. And there's a guy I worked with in the cinema the years prior to this called Brendan. And he and his friends had, 
been made. I thought they were so cool. They made sketches, but it's way before the internet sketch thing, like TikTok mm. and all. Like years ago, they'd make these sketches, and they did. They'd have a little DVD of it, and I got hold of one once. And I loved it. I just watched it, and it was. It just reminded me of that sort of Monty Python sort of thing. And at, at the time, like things like Jackass, they were doing kind of Mickey takes of that. So, so in those things, they do something horrific to each other, and then everyone, all their friends, would go. Wah! you're crazy and then but what they do is they do they do something that wasn't crazy and then react like that Uh, and i just thought it was hilarious like they drop they make a big deal out of dropping the yellow pages on someone's foot and then (laughs) and then just react and i I just thought they were brilliant and i was thought to myself i'd like to do something like that but i wasn't particularly confident at like the idea of doing stand-up i i I, just never entered my head because at school if i had to stand up in front of people and talk I'd get embarrassed. I'd, I'd sort of go rosy-cheeked. I'd, I'd be so scared of that. And then when I went to university and I'd do presentations, same thing. I'd just dread it. So I always liked stand-up, but it didn't even enter my head that I could do it. No. And then I, I was working in this gym and he was training in the gym, but he didn't know what he was doing. So he actually sort of... I think I, I obviously I recognised him from the DVD, which, is, which I think he probably <laughs> thought was mad because it was such a... No one saw this thing. And I just started chatting to him and I helped him, you know, with his exercises, showing him what to do. And then he was telling me that he'd been doing the open mic circuit in London. And I, I, I was like, what, 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 what is that? I, what, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And he would talk about it and talk about it. And so I don't know how he did it, but he managed to convince me to give it a go. And looking back, at, so he gave me a week. So there's a gig called Downstairs at the King's Head. It's like a legendary club. It's in Crouch End. Mm. And on a Thursday, it's, it's, the, it's their famous new act night where they have about 15 new acts, all do five minutes. Don't you have to put your name down months in advance? Though? Yes, you have to phone him and there's a whole process to it. But what you can also do is turn up and on, if you wait on the door, there's always people that don't show up. So he, uh, right, so yeah. you could get a spot. So that's mm-hmm. what, what my friend would do regularly. He'd just pop down there and get on. So... He convinced me to go and have a go and gave me, gave me a week to write the five minutes. I now know. <laughs> You're never going to write five minutes in a week. Yes. But, but anyone who doesn't know about comedy thinks five minutes, of course, that's easy. But, like, <laughs> it's not. And so very unprepared, I went. And what's, what's mad is the first ever gig I did was the first time I'd been into a comedy club. <laughs> Which I, I'd argue that there's not many comedians that, that, that can say that. No. And it was... It was it's so hard to to describe the feeling I had from the whole experience. Like sometimes I, I sit and I try to I do kind of I can kind of remember what it what it's like, but I've never you don't really have it since that first sort of year. It was like I discovered this new world that I didn't know about, this underground world, and I can just be a part of it. <laughs> like I don't have to do anything to I can literally just have to go on and stand on stage and and just talk for five minutes. And I am now a comedian, like a part of this gang. And I felt it was like, I finally felt like I was cool. Like it's such a cool thing. And, and anyone you ever spoke to about it is always interested in it because no one really knows about it. And it was just such a great feeling. And I just loved it. And I just got a bug. I mean, the first gig, I was told when I came off that I, I looked at the ground for the whole time. <laughs> like literally the whole time. But what I did was I went on and I acted like the weirdo. I was just wide-eyed, just because I wanted to hide who I was, I think. Mm. And I didn't even, like Milton Jones wasn't, he wasn't well known as he is now. And so I, I didn't know who Milton Jones was. And I was doing, almost similar to what he was doing, but I wasn't doing one-liners as such. Maybe sort of. Mm. I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I'd just come on and I'd look all weird. And that got a bit of a laugh from people. So that sort of gave me a bit of confidence. And then some of the jokes did work. And what I realised was when I get a laugh in front of people, when I get a reaction of some sort, that I'm confident and I can talk in front of people. Right. What I think it is, is when I'm talking and maybe I don't really know, so if it was like a science presentation, if I don't really know what I'm talking about and no one's really interested in what I'm talking about, I don't feel comfortable. Mm. Even now, if I had to do a presentation that wasn't funny, I, I, I'd, I'd dread it, I think. But yeah, I just found like, I was just like, oh, this is, this is me. And then, 
yeah, I just haven't looked back. I've just, just constantly gigged since then. <laughs> Thank God you'd seen that DVD. Because people at a gym always look serious, don't they? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't walk up to a bloke and go, no, oh, mate, you're interested in comedy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you go up to someone and say, you're clearly a comedian, look at you. <laughs> but, yeah. And I learned the hard way because a lot of comedians, they, they, they go on a course and it's like planned. They're like, they've always wanted to be a comedian. So Yeah. Well, Sean, Sean Walsh, who did that brilliant touring around Scotland with, he told me that he went and did a course mm. in Brighton. He was the first person I met that did that. And weirdly, I met him at that Downstairs at the King's Head gig. Not the first one, but maybe like my second or third one. Right. I saw him and we sort of clicked straight away. Mm. But I always laugh with him and take the mick out of him a little bit because I always call him the best open spot I've ever seen. <laughs> Which sounds like an insult to call him that now, but he, he is, he still is the best person I've seen at that level. He was just like, almost like the finished article straight away. And he was phenomenal, just blew my mind. So he did very well in competitions in that first few years. And he's just shot off up in, you know. Rightly so. Yeah. I mean, he's brilliant on stage. Of our generation, he's the best, I think. As far as being able to smash a room, mm. just, just have that ability to just get the laughs up there and just keep them up there. Yeah, I saw him for the very first time at an enormous venue in Benidorm. Really? Yeah, supporting Johnny Vegas. Oh, wow. He really stormed it. Yeah, yeah, he's excellent. And he's, I mean, I owe him a lot as well. Like, I could put him in the capsule too, because he, so like Stuart, he, he, I mean, if it wasn't for him, I I owe him so much, because if it wasn't for him, I I wouldn't be doing this. And I'm, for me, I'm doing the best job in the world. (laughs) And I might just still be working in the sports centre where I was working, and you know, which was a fine job, but this is a different league of enjoyment and happiness working. And then Sean helped me kind of take it to another level because we sort of lost contact a little bit because he was doing gigs that I wasn't anywhere near doing. Yeah. And then I'm a firm believer in putting stuff into the universe and if you just put enough stuff in there, your opportunities will come. And I started doing a, a movie review blog. So it's all jokes about the movies. And I just bumped into him in Edinburgh and he said, oh, I love your reviews you've been putting out. And I'd say a week later, he offered me to support him on tour. Brilliant. And then from there, because that, the transition from a, a regular working job to full-time comedian is tough and that, that was the hardest I've ever had in my career it's the like the tiredness because I, I get up at seven do a shift finish at half three then I get straight on the motorway to Bournemouth <laughs> to do 10 minutes unpaid and then I come back go to bed get up repeat and, yeah. and the, the better you get at comedy the more gigs you're getting but you're not quite getting enough to live off it no. so so you're essentially you're doing two full-time jobs at once so it's more exhausting yeah it's and you can't ever say no because no. you never know who's going to be there you never know you know what opportunity can arise but i do love that support that comedians give each other mm. i love the fact that as people become more successful they will keep an eye on people that they know they mm. worked with at the beginning that they liked that they yes. thought were good they'll watch them and try and help yeah, because some people just don't get a lucky break. And there's some, some really brilliant... I've got uh, one of my friends is called Danny Ward, and he's excellent, and he's mm. supporting me on my tour now. Uh, right, you see what I mean, yeah. And he's so good, but just just didn't quite get that break. He had a couple of sliding door moments where it went the opposite way, like he slightly missed out on an opportunity. Yeah. And with, the, with Sean's tour, I, I then had like 50 dates in a diary I knew were locked in, and then I could build off the back of that working in the clubs. So I just took the punt and just went for it. And, and and that completely changed my career. So I owe Sean a lot for that as well. Yeah. Like, and the nice thing about it is that they pay you. They pay me. A long time ago, <laughs> I was in a, a, a parody pop band and we oh, yeah. had some success. But we were invited to tour with some quite big bands. And we went, oh, that would be interesting. I mean, mm. when I say big, the police. Oh, wow. Would you like to come and be the opening That's act? That's crazy. And we went, yeah, great, how much do we get? And they went, no, you pay us. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't do it. We couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford it. How was that a thing? They thought the record company would pay, but our record company said, fuck off. How have they not got enough money to pay? (laughs) They just wanted more. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, that yeah, that's not the case in comedy. No. Thank God. Yeah, thank goodness for that. Mm. Oh, well, that's such a shame, though, isn't it? Like, you just do, do, do you kind of wish that you had done it? I wish that we'd had the money or, in fact, hadn't cared about the money, you know, and just gone, yeah, 
Mm, never mind. Yeah. I did other things. I had fun. Yeah, well, good, good. But your mate, what a great thing to do. And thank goodness you took notice of him. What a brave thing to do, though. Just, well, go on, write stuff in a week and then I'll put you on. <laughs> I used to drink a bit back then, so that might have been what it was. <laughs> I don't drink anymore, but I used to. So that, you know, maybe that gave me a bit of confidence. I don't know. Yeah. All right. That's your first thing we put in there. That's mark. my first thing. Brilliant. Okay. Let's move on to number two. Okay. Number two is I've actually managed to, it's quite, I've managed to work. Oh, my headphones come out. Hang on. <laughs> I'm very excited about this one. Um, so this, I've managed to get lots of things in one item, which is cool. Okay. So it's a VHS of the Karate Kid, but it's a very specific VHS <laughs> that was taped from telly when I was a kid. It's the one we had. Is it ITV? Did you have adverts? Yeah, oh, there were adverts as well, uh... yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, so I had all the old adverts. So, I, mm-hmm. so again, I'd like to see those again for the nostalgia because I watched that video so much that it would all come back to me straight away. Yeah. But also, because those tapes were so long, when my granddad had taped the FA Cup final, and it was a, quite a big one, it was Nottingham Forest versus Tottenham. Right, yeah. And it was the one where Gaza broke his leg mm. and got sent off all in one go because he did this crazy challenge. So it was such a big deal, like, because I think this was, he was in his prime then, wasn't he? He was absolutely mad in that final, wasn't he? Mm. Like he'd lost his mind. From the moment it kicked off, it kicked off. Mm. Do you remember the year it was? I don't know. I think it was 91. So just after the famous World Cup? Yes. So that, so I I was really, I I was still into football, but I was really into football when I was a kid. Mm. And I would watch that match back. And again, just reminded me of my granddad because I knew he'd Mm. watched it and was into it. Um, Actually, that's another thing I've got here is this is another thing I've just never been able to throw away. This is his um, Crystal Palace scarf, a terrible scarf. But yeah, I don't support Crystal Palace. But I've, I've never been able to throw that away. But I've only been to Palace a couple of times, but I did see an extraordinary thing there. I went to see Manchester United play against Crystal Palace and was about 20 feet away from Cantona when he jumped into the crowd. Wow. So you saw that, the flying kick? I actually saw it, yeah. Blimey. So what else is on this DVD? Oh, yeah, sorry, yes. So the other thing on the DVD... Was... Oh, no, it's a VHS, isn't it? Oh, VHS, sorry, sorry. Okay. VHS. It's the last ever episode of the world of sport wrestling. (laughs) And I used to sit there with my granddad and watch World of Sport because um, my mum... So I've got an older brother, and my mum, every Saturday or Sunday, I'm not sure what day it was on, she'd come over, take my nan shopping, and one of myself and my brother would stay with my granddad, the other one would go shopping. (laughs) And we'd just sit and watch the wrestling. But also on the other side of my family, my dad's side, they loved the wrestling as well. And we, my dad and my other nan would always take me to the local wrestling in Ashford regularly. And we loved it. And I still love wrestling now. It's like my guilty pleasure. I follow everything. Like, I'm really into it. I go and watch it. There's this really good live wrestling in in London. There's a real wave of new style wrestling that's come through in the last sort of 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it's got really popular again. And it's just like you just go to a a pub in London and there's a wrestling (laughs) ring in the middle of the pub and everyone's having a great time. Like, I love it. Wow. And I love I love all the American stuff. And it's, it's such a sad thing for someone in their 30s to, to like. No, it's not. It's an amazing piece of theatre, I think. Uh, it's, but the thing with wrestling is you either get it or you don't. It's, there's no in-between. Like, you either, you're very opinionated that it's ridiculous, it's the worst thing ever, mm. or you get it and you're like, this is, there's so much to it. There's storyline, there's... There's athleticism. There's there's history. Like there's there's no there's nothing else where someone returning from years away or they've been away injured and they return and you get the goosebumps and it's it's so exciting. You don't get that in anything else, I don't think. And unless you understand it, there'll be people listening like this. This what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> but it's it, honestly, I love it. And again, that's so. If I had that in the time capsule, I could watch that. It would remind me again of my granddad and mm. my dad's side and my. Nan. But I need you to argue the case for Karate Kid. Okay, sorry, I've got so much to talk about. So Karate Kid, I'm, I'm guessing this isn't your favourite film. <laughs> I think I've seen it once. Oh, okay, so again, VHS is when you're a kid back then is, I loved film, so and we didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't have a huge turnover of VHSs. So we mm. had the ones we got, and I just watched them and watched them and watched them. 
I also I do martial arts as well, but that's going to be in my next thing. So we'll come to that. Okay. So I, I was into it. And now when I watch it, just the soundtrack, just so nostalgic. And it, when I hear it, the, the opening soundtrack, I, I'm back home where in the house I grew up in, sitting on the floor, watching the big box telly. <laughs> and I can visualise the stand the telly was on and where all the, D, all the VHSs were all sort of lined up. And I'm there, I'm back, I'm that child again watching it. And I love it. And it's, it's a great film. And like Mr Miyagi... Mm-hmm. One of the best characters in history of cinema, <laughs> and and I bet you don't know this. He was nominated for an Oscar, really, for that role. No one knows this. No one knows this. No, Pat Morita was nominated for an Oscar, and there's a specific scene where it gets a bit serious about halfway through the film, and Daniel, the the, the karate kid, turns up at his house, and he's drunk. And it's the anniversary of his um, wife and child's death, mm. which is quite heavy for a you know for a kids' film. And the acting where he's drunk and he's sort of explaining what happens, but and but there's there's like a, an article in a newspaper, so the, the karate kid reads that, and you 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 see you you work out what's happened and why he's like it. And this is a beautiful scene where. He goes to bed and he passes out, and then the karate kid sort of bows to him. So it's this real respect thing, and this there's a lot of emotion, and that scene is just so well acted, and that's what he got the nomination off of. Mm. But they very nearly cut the scene. It was like right to the last minute. It was it was argued both ways, but it was so powerful and it's so great that they left it in. So yeah, so it's the best film ever, and I won't have anyone tell me anything else. Well, I think any film that spawns another. 37 episodes, as it were. It just kept going, didn't it, forever? Yeah. But did you know they've done a new series? No, I didn't know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's the best thing that's ever made. It's so good. It's called Cobra Kai. And Cobra Kai were the bad guys in Karate Kid. So, basically, there's a whole series now where the same character, so the old Karate Kid... The yeah. old bad guy. Sadly, um, Mr. Miyagi, Pat Morita, he, he passed away, so he's not in it. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's made by fans, basically. These directors, they're, they're huge fans, and they just got it perfect. It's <laughs> hilarious. It's, they, 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 they touch on the nostalgia brilliantly. There's loads of callbacks. They've got loads of characters come back into it. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a similar thing to the wrestling, actually. When you see an old character from the original film come back in, you get that same buzz from it. It's just brilliant. I would advise you watch all the Karate Kid films and then watch this series and it will blow your mind. It's superb. It was number one in Netflix. Like they, they, There's like four series now, five series, and it was, it's huge, yeah. Okay, I will. I'll go back and look at it. Have I argued the case successfully? You have. You have, certainly for yourself. Certainly for a reason why you should have it in for yourself, I yes. think. And with those other connections and your granddad and your grandma and being able to sit in front of the telly and be 13 again, fantastic. I love it. I love it. I watch it just for that. Yeah. Just for that feeling. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay, that goes in. That's your next thing into the time capsule. Oh, we've only done two. Sorry, but we've got to get through these. That's no, all right. We've done two. We've got number three to come. Okay, ad break time, so bear with us as this podcast doesn't get made using fresh air. Well, it sort of does because it's all chat, but it's a bit more complicated than that. Uh, Let me explain, but I'll do it while the ads are playing so you don't have to listen to me. Right, to begin with, the best way to make a lot... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And then we made a whole bundle more. And that's how I bought my first Ferrari. But if you want to make vast sums through the production of poor quality PPE, I'm afraid you've missed the boat, sucker. Anyway, welcome back. Right, let's get straight back to Mark Simmons and discover what else he wants to put in his time capsule. So, um, my black belt. Ah, this is the karate then. Uh, that's my black belt there with my tie. Um, <laughs> so, so, so it's not karate; it's taekwondo. Right. Um, which is similar, similar sort of vibes. Taekwondo is um, a South Korean martial art. Mm-hmm. It's in the Olympics, and it's it's mainly kicking. Yeah. Um, but it depends on there's so many different teachings of it and styles. We're good at it, aren't we? We've won gold medals. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jade Jones, she mm. two back to back gold medals. Yeah. She didn't win it in the last one, but the, the ones before, she got the um, London gold. Yeah. So how long have you been doing that? Since I was about five, my dad teaches it, so I've been brought up around it. Mm. Um, yeah, and I started about five. I, when I was a kid, I had a few years off here and there where you just sort of lose interest in it. Um, but it's always been a massive part of my life. And gaining the black belt was just such a, a massive achievement for me. It was it just meant so much. It was a really sort of big deal because it was just years and years of, of training and dedication. And because my dad taught, I didn't get an easy ride in this, like, I, I was the opposite. Like, he'd make me do way more yeah, yeah. than anyone else and train harder. And I just got so much out of it. You, you just learn so many life lessons from it. Like, it was, it's a really great way that I could bond with my dad because it's just a common interest. And mm. I'd, like, when, I think when I was about 14, I kind of restarted and took it seriously because I went training again. And then I was at the age where I was a bit bigger and I could I could do it properly then, and you could get stuck in, and I just caught the bug for it. And I had an older brother; he's four years older than me, and he also trained. Mm. Um, and that was a really nice around that time because we we sort of clashed a bit when we were younger, classic sort of brothers. Mm. And then when when I started training at that age, my brother and I could spar properly, right? And we could lay into each other, but in a controlled environment. Mm. And that just totally changed our relationship. We were so much closer after that and we would rarely ever fall out because i feel like maybe we maybe you get it out of your system a bit yeah or i don't really know what what it is maybe it's all those hours dedicating training for the same thing the bonding all the people i've ever known who've been involved in what people might call aggressive sports like boxing they're the most gentle people in real life they would never hurt a fly they'd never use it against anybody either no People are often surprised that I do it. I don't shout about it. I don't think it's, you know, it's not... To me, it's my serious side, and I, I take it very seriously. Mm. Whereas when you're a comedian, like I, it's not something I would go on stage and talk about because I, I don't... It's not, I, it's not funny to me. It's, it's just uh, my, like, literally my serious side. And sometimes people who have known me from, I don't know, the comedy world, maybe they've come to a, a, ta- a taekwondo session and they've seen me like, that's your, that's, you're like a different person. I'm very <laughs> yeah. serious when mm. I do it. And I, I teach it now, or well, not so much now, I just, this work's got really busy. But mm. I taught the, when I left uni, I worked at University of Kent in the sports department. Right. And I, I started the taekwondo club there and I taught that for about 12 years. And my dad now does it. He sort of continued it. Oh, brilliant. And the black belt was... So it was just, I was training five, six times a week and I wasn't natural. I wasn't like naturally gifted. Mm. It was it's very much, I was always taught that if you want to be good at something, you just have to practice, 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 practice. And, and it works. It really works. So I just, I really dedicated myself to it. And the feeling like when I achieved the black belt and then could wear it at the next session, hmm. the next training session was, it was like I'd been accepted into this new club. It was that that feeling is just unmatched. I just lo- loved it. So proud of it. And 
because like my dad and all the people he used to train with, I also just looked up to them and they all had their black belts. And in Taekwondo, you have a black collar. And for me, the black collar was bigger than the black belt. That was the most important thing for me. And That's what you grab, isn't it? That's the first thing you go for. If you're grappling, you yes. do, yeah. So it's just that sort of blood, sweat and tears and you just go through all the emotions. And, and like my black belt grading was brutal. <laughs> it was so tough. But it's, it's all about that kind of, getting back up and the heart is more important than, than anything. Mm. And that absolutely must have bled into your comedy career. It must have done. Well, I, so I competed for quite a while in tournaments and that was always my goal. I wanted to be in the Olympics, and, and, but I, I, I was plagued with just injury after injury, which happens in this sort of sport. And I just get dislocated toes and shoulders. And when you're throwing your foot at someone really hard and it, your toe dislocates, oh. all that training, and then just in one fight, your toe pops out and you're like, oh, that's it. And it's just got too frustrating after a while. So, mm. so yeah. And then comedy, I started almost directly after that. And, and the, the work ethic thing is something that I've taken from one into the other, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. That thing of if you keep going, mm. keep practising, yeah. you'll get better at it. Yeah, just got to keep going, dedicate the hours. It's all about the hours you put in. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'd so, say, I mean, I'm not surprised you're proud of it. I've never had the dedication to do, well, I don't think I've have ever you, Have achieved, you ever done any kind of any Never achieved up. anything in my life. That's, that's <laughs> Nothing. not true. <laughs> <laughs> anything I've done, I've done because I can do it easily. Right. Okay, the black belt goes in as number three. Yes. So we've got two left. We've got one that you want to keep and one you would like to bury and forget. So this one isn't going to go in, mm. but I, would, I just want to give it an honourable mention, is dad jokes. Now, this is going to be surprising <laughs> because of what I do, but it's the misuse of, of dad jokes. Yeah. I think it's where people who don't really, they don't really understand, they're not comedy people, they don't really understand comedy. And then you hear, they hear a short joke and that's a dad joke. But to me, it's like we were saying earlier, a dad joke is a cheesy joke that perhaps doesn't work on both sides. It's not a well-crafted joke. Just a pun in itself. Mm. It doesn't make it punny. Yes, very good. But if it's when I hear, like, you'll hear people say, Milton Jones, the king of the dad joke. I'm like, he is not the king of the dad joke. He's, his jokes are genius. They're not... Mm. So sometimes someone will come up and go, oh, I love what you're doing, oh, dad jokes. And, and they've been so nice and it's lovely. <laughs> but in my head, I was like, oh, they, oh they're not. <laughs> don't, stop telling people they're dad jokes. They're not dad jokes. Yeah. But I think there's a place for them. I don't dislike dad jokes, but I want people to know which is which, you know? No, I mean, and in fact, as a dad, I always did deliberately do a dad joke. I mean, mm. and once you've done a dad joke and you know it annoys your teenage children, you do it all the time. <laughs> Great fun. But I've got nephews and they're young and they quite like dad jokes, so I don't <laughs> mind doing dad jokes. No. But, you know, in the appropriate time. But sometimes people who, again, people that maybe they've gone to a comedy night that they're not particularly comedy savvy people, they will hear the short jokes and they'll they, they groan at it like they would a dad joke. Mm. And groaning is something I... Groaning could go in the capsule. No, yeah. the, I could bury that. Because oh, God, you must want to stop the show. Sorry, are you groaning? Do you know how long it took me to work that one out? I literally do. I literally <laughs> do now. I've, it's the best way to deal with it. Yeah. Because, because now I'm confident I, I can deal with it like this. So what people don't realise is if one person groans before anyone laughs... Like sheep, they influence the whole room. Mm -hmm. The whole room. Yeah. It's, 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 I love, I, I'm genuinely very interested in room dynamics and psychology. And then if once they do that, they get into the rhythm of doing it. And if, if, if every joke is, they're not groaners. <sighs> they're not groaners. I've got some jokes that you could argue perhaps are groaners. And I, I will happily let, I'll, I'll, I'll work into the groan. I don't mind. Mm -hmm. I'll own the groan. Yeah. But it's when you've got, like I say, really well-crafted jokes that aren't groaners. They never get groans. <laughs> no. And what I do now, I've worked out what you do. You tell the audience what's happened. You, you say, oh, what's happened here is this person's groaned and, and it just influences the whole room. And by telling them that, they don't like being influenced. You kill it dead. Yeah. I'd love to see you take that and just go, because just a moment, is that a groan <laughs> joke? I don't think it is. Let's analyse that joke. Let yes. me take you through that joke and why it works. I think you could do five minutes on that. You're going to turn that way into a man who tells stories. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I kind of go into, sometimes go into faux 
angry as well, which can <laughs> can really work. Because it's such a stupid thing to be angry about. Yes. So really, <laughs> but you have to. You have to, to, to sort of nip it in the bud quick. <laughs> do you ever do it again? So, right, okay, look, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. And yeah, this yeah, time, yeah, yeah. you must not groan. Yeah, yeah, I have to train. You have to train them. <laughs> but if you if you do it, they'll realise, and then they'll stop. But that all comes from, I think, people like aren't into comedy, and then maybe their friends have invited them to this thing, and they're used to seeing short jokes. They just associate that with dad jokes. Yeah. So, oh, we're supposed to groan at this. Oh, he's trying to trick us with this. Yes. So go oh, like uh, that. So, but this is the thing you're not going to put in there. Ah, oh, I want to now. <laughs> But they're all sort of linked, actually. The thing I'm going, going to put in... Sorry, I'm talking way too much. I, right. just, I love this podcast so much. <laughs> um, I'm going to put in dying on stage in the early days. Right. Very specifically the early days. Mm-hmm. Because now, touch wood, luckily it rarely happens. But if it does happen now, I'm in the point in my career where I know I'm good at this. I know I can do it. I've done these jokes thousands of times. I know they work. So when I do a gig and it doesn't work, I find it kind of funny (laughs) in in a sadistic way. that no one will know what this is like unless you've done it. (laughs) Because you're saying these words that I'm not saying them any differently, exactly the same and just to get nothing, I start giggling. (laughs) But, But what happens then is when you're giggling, it actually helps the gig. Because you're you're showing you're not uncomfortable. Yeah. Because what most people do when they're dying is they 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 go they talk quicker to get to the next joke. They don't move. They they get tense, and they the audience know you're dying, and it just makes things worse. Mm. But if you're just laughing, at, <laughs> this is ridiculous. They sometimes come with you. Strangely, it's like I did one show. This is this was mad. I did, I was very lucky. I got invited by Rob Brydon to support him on tour. Mm. Such a great experience, doing these huge rooms, 2,000-seater rooms. Mm. And I did one in Brighton. And what was quite nice sometimes is you can do your opening set and then you can shoot off and do, and do a headline set somewhere nearby. Oh, of course, yeah. So I did this gig at the Brighton Dome, 2,000 people, and it was just the best time. Because with that many people, with these my sort of jokes, is you'll get everyone who gets it quickly laugh. And then everyone else has time to catch up. And there's this beautiful wave. And it's just the best, the best feeling. Mm. And then I shot off to Shoreham to do this little club. And I walked on and I died. <laughs> but I'm like, but I just did. I literally I did just did. To 2,000 people. They exactly loved it. Exactly the same. <laughs> and what I'd love to do as an experiment would be to film that first one. And then halfway through the death, put it on film. And I'd just love to know what an audience's reaction would be to seeing that, whether they go, oh, it's us. Or maybe you'd lost your rhythm. Maybe you'd lost the rhythm of a small room. I don't... Exactly. There is a difference. Yeah, Mm. that is true. But what I think it was is... What I gathered was the gig hadn't gone well for the whole night. Right. And I think they'd lost confidence in the night. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you're closing a gig and they've had a bad time, they don't want to enjoy it because they want to be able to moan about how bad it was. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So sometimes that can be the the mentality. But like I say, so in the early days, this is what I'm putting in, is when you don't know if you're good, deep down, you don't know. After a bad gig, I personally, I think everyone does this, I just would beat myself up so much about it. Just like question your your life choices and like should I be doing this? Like I'm spending so much money traveling for five minutes for miles, Bognor Regis or Manchester, and coming back. So you'd just be so down, and then the next time you'd have a good gig, and suddenly you're king of the world again, and mm. then you'd be back down. And it's it's not. I don't think it's healthy, <laughs> and that's why I think it should go in. Yeah. Because also I now know that all those gigs that went badly, maybe I wasn't very good. But also, there's so many factors can go into why it doesn't work. You can be like the lighting in a room. Sometimes you go to a gig and the audience are more lit up than you are. That can throw a gig. Or the audience are too spaced out, so there's no kind of herd kind of energy to, you know, because you want everyone crammed in. Low ceiling, might be a high ceiling, the last disappear, whereas a low ceiling that all bounces off everywhere. The lights on the stage are, are reflecting back too much in that room and it makes them all feel as if they're lit. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's the biggest one. If they feel self-conscious. Mm. Like when I do the, my tour show, I want them as dark as possible because I want them to be able to sit there, relax, not worry about what they're laughing at, just just have a good time. Mm. 
And little things like, so many little things can throw a gig. I, touch words, I've only had, in this tour, I only had one that I didn't really enjoy. It went fine, but I know how good it can be. Mm. So everyone in the audience, I think, had a nice time, but it wasn't as good as it could be. And there were so many little factors that played into why it wasn't great. Like the venue, I won't say what venue it is, <laughs> but but they, you know Spotify, if you, you get Spotify Premium, mm-hmm. but if you don't have Spotify Premium, you can still list the Spotify, but you have adverts. Yeah. So the venue, when everyone was sitting waiting in the audience, every so often an advert would come on. <laughs> and then what would happen is the, the guy, the sound guy, would quickly mute the advert. <laughs> so now they're sitting in silence having listened to the beginning of an advert. they couldn't be asked to get onto premium Spotify. Yeah. And then they turn it back up. And then also with Spotify Premium, you don't have a choice with what songs you hear. So, and what happens before, as you'll know, before like a stand-up show starts, you need to pump the music up so everyone knows it's about to start. The lights go down, you come on. Well, he pumped it up when it was, it was, it was an Adele power ballad. <laughs> so she's bursting this ballad out and it sounds like the beginning of a musical, like it's all <laughs> part of the show. And then you have to walk out. It was nonsense. And interestingly, because you never really know what the audience are thinking when you're in. I assumed they found that weird. Yeah. But my cousin's daughter came to watch that show. And I saw her the other day because they came over for Christmas. And I asked her about it and she went, yeah, that was so weird with the adverts. Everyone was just looking at each other. It's like, well, if you're starting, like, it doesn't seem professional. So, <laughs> £10 a month. I know, I know. <laughs> you really feel as if you're in a cheap <laughs> venue, don't you? <laughs> Terrible. I kind of understand now why people think people are divas. Because what we found is, over time, I, I was very relaxed at the beginning. I just, you know, I assumed everyone, the, the, the techs and everything, would know what to do. Mm-hmm. But so many times they got little things wrong. And now we've got a list. I'm like, I have to... I, I feel like I'm teaching them to suck eggs. <laughs> like, if I go up to a sound guy and go, by the way, it is Spotify Premium, right? They think I'm an idiot. <laughs> but I don't want to risk it because my shows are, like, so important to me and I want everyone to have such a nice time. <laughs> so it is, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, you've got to check these things. But I love the, <laughs> I love the idea of you standing on stage and, and enjoying the fact that people don't laugh. I'm not saying I want it to happen all the time. No, no, quite, no. <laughs> Lovely. Okay. Well, that's in there and that's buried, gone. <laughs> so we've got to think of one more thing you'd like to put in there and keep. Um, there's so many things I could put in, but I, it's I've got. So I, I, I might put this. This is like a new thing, though. So I don't know if it really counts. So I was walking around trying to think of the other thing, and in my pocket I've got this, and this is a this is a little Hulk, <laughs> weird little toy thing, mm-hmm. and. That's been in my pocket for ages of my coat. I've kept saying to myself, I'm going to throw it away, but I haven't been able to throw it away. It's that nostalgia thing where basically last year we went on like a family sort of little getaway to Bournemouth. Um, So I've got my my nephews, my brother, sister-in-law, mum, stepdad, and we went away and we just had this really lovely time, really nice weekend. We, what did we do? We went to Monkey World, um... (laughs) And then we went to, so over the years when we've gone done things, we, we've always driven past the, the tank museum sign. And my stepdad would always say, oh, we want to go to the tank museum. And we'd always take the mick out of him so <laughs> yeah. much about the tank museum because it just sounds rubbish. <laughs> go to the tank museum. So for a joke, or, or just to back up this joke, we, we went to the tank museum as a laugh. Yes. And it was great. It was really good. <laughs> it was excellent. It was, I just had no idea. So we had a really nice time. And then we were in the bottom of town and there was the hotel and some of them went up on the last night. Some of them went up in a taxi and myself, my mum and my brother walked to the hotel. And that was really nice because when you get older, you don't... I can't really remember a recent time where us three have ever sort of hung out for for ages, just us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a really really nice sort of moment, walking up the hill, just chatting like we used to. Uh, my brother was messing around, and he's like quite—he's quite a serious guy now because he's like a head teacher of a school. Um, but he's got this a really. To be honest, a lot of my comedy interests all come from him mm. because he introduced me to so much when I was when I was younger. So like he introduced me to the office, and he just went, "Just stick with it. Trust me. <laughs> just trust me. You will get it." He said, "You will get it." Because it was that time where not everyone really bit with it to start with. No, no, a lot of people thought it was real. 
yeah, they'd have conversations about the documentary that was on TV. <laughs> and I just loved it because I trusted him comedy-wise. Like, he's got a good sense of humour. And I just loved that. I remember it was Jimmy Carr's first ever Royal Variety show that he did. And I remember it so clearly because it was the first time I'd seen one-liners where you had to think about it to get it. And the satisfaction I got from watching that was immense. I loved it so much. And that was, again, his influence on my brother, you know. And I remember it. I can see where we were all sitting. Wow. Yeah, also at the time, I didn't realise that was a big influential moment on me. And then I also remember my brother introduced me to Monty Python for the first time. And that was, I mean, it was, I was, I guess, I don't know, 16 maybe. And it was Life of Brian. Mm. And it literally blew my mind that something so old could be so funny. Yeah. And then I'll just watch it again and again. And the beauty of that film is you pick up on a new joke every time you watch it. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So, yeah, so he's got a very silly sense of humour when he's in silly mode. So that was really nice, walking up there. And then my brother had to go and put the kids to bed. And then my mum and I were just like, oh, we, still got, we could just sort of keep walking. So we just kept walking and chatting. And it was so nice. And it's one of those things where you just... When it's happening, you think, oh, this is a really good memory. This is going to be a great memory. And then we walked along the seafront and then we walked down to the arcade. And then we just went into the arcade like like when I was a kid. Yeah. And we just had so much fun in there. We'd like, we'd play on the <laughs> ice hockey thing, the basketball. I Role reversal, I got a load of um, two peas for her. And so we did the... <laughs> the slot machine thing where you what do you call it yeah, there's a game come. show now with it isn't there yeah. and I won that when I was doing it in my head that's just that's the memory from that I just haven't been to throw it away it's so stupid isn't it no it's not no no absolutely <laughs> not so every time you feel it in your pocket you think what's that oh that's that th- oh what a great weekend that was yeah it was lovely and it was also when, when we were in the arcade it was the first time my mum saw someone ask me for a photo that was really nice mm. because she could see that it was working out okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, I mean, she was all, she was blindly supportive of comedy, considering she, she knew nothing about the industry. Like, in my family, there's no performer history at all. But she, she just blindly supported me with it. <laughs> but surely she must have been thinking, what is he doing? Absolutely. It's like my brother went to university, and I did, but no one else had. So... So that's quite a big deal. Yeah. So they're like, so I guess they'd be like, well, he's not even doing what he was... <laughs> throwing it away. <laughs> what he was meant to. But, but you wouldn't know it the way they kind of supported, so... How lovely of them. Yeah, so I'm going to put that in there. Little Hulk. There he is. <laughs> so stupid. And I've never won anything in one of those things before, so that's great as well. <laughs> Two people well spent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to the amusement arcade yesterday with my grandchildren. 20 quid. No way. All they got was one of those things where you pull the chewing gum out and a little spring comes out and hits. <laughs> That's it. 20 bloody quid. <laughs> but the fun, the fun. Think of the fun. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, what a lovely time I've had talking to you. Thank you so much. Oh. It's lovely to meet you and I'm a big fan of what you do. Oh, thank you. That, that means a lot. Um, yeah, I've had a great time. So much fun. You have been listening to my Time Capsule, with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Mark Simmons. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening enough to rate and maybe review the show highly, and this will lead you to think, oh, hang on, I'm so fond of this podcast, why don't I just subscribe to it? Which will not only raise its profile, thus helping it to continue to produce such quality product, but also mean that I have instant access to all episodes the moment they're released. Great idea. Hmm... You may also be thinking, I wish there was some way I could keep an eye on both the podcast and this Fenton Stevens bloke. You know, see what they're up to, etc. Well, lucky for you, there is. Just follow me and my time capsule on social media. Oh, hold your horses. You wouldn't happen to also be thinking how lovely it would be if you could listen to the theme tune by Past the Peas music in isolation and really appreciate its quality, complexity and yet subtlety, would you? <laughs> well, blow me down. You can also download or stream that very theme tune anytime from Spotify. <laughs> it really is your day, isn't it? <laughs> hey, you're on such a good run of luck that I bet if you were asked to wager everything you have on who produced this podcast, you'd automatically guess it was a cast-off production produced by John Fenton Stevens, wouldn't you? <laughs> you just can't lose, my friend. 
Until now. Joke time, I'm afraid. Although, actually, your luck has held out, because it's not one of mine. I'll leave you with another cracker from the top ten Edinburgh Fringe Festival jokes by our very own Mark Simmons. Combine harvesters, and you'll have a really big restaurant. That lad's going places. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 